Welcome to The How of Business with your host, Henry Lopez, the podcast that helps you start, run, and grow your small business. And now, here is your host. Welcome to this episode of The How of Business. This is Henry Lopez, and my guest today again is Jennifer Holland. Jennifer, welcome back to the show. Thank you. Honored to be here again. Yeah, looking forward to this. Another deeper dive. Jennifer is back on the show to help us elevate our small business branding and attract more businesses, more business rather, and employees. We're going to talk about how branding helps us with attracting and retaining employees. So if you're looking to improve and leverage the value of your small business brand, and there is a value there to help you sell more, and as I said, to attract the best people to your organization, then this episode is for you. To receive more information about the How of Business, including the show notes page for this episode, and to schedule a free coaching consultation with me, just visit thehowofbusiness.com. So many of you uh, listened to Jennifer's previous episode. Uh, Jennifer Hollando is a certified brand strategist, a business growth expert, a professional speaker, author, and the owner of Holland People Plus Brands, which is an integrated brand engagement agency. And she'll share a little bit more about that. As I said, we, we had the opportunity to explore Jennifer's career and life experiences back on episode 411, episode 411 of this podcast. And uh, by the way, which has been downloaded now almost 16,000 times since we released it just this past February. Very popular episode. And on that episode, we also had a broad conversation about branding for small business owners. On this episode, we're going to focus a bit more specifically on the three secrets of elevating your brand and how it can help you attract and retain great team members. Jennifer lives in the Jacksonville, Florida area, so up I-95 from where I live. Once again, Jennifer Holland, welcome back to the show. Thank you. Thank you. Let's let's talk brand. Yeah, let's talk branding. As, a, <laughs> as I was saying there in that intro, your, your last appearance has been so well received. And I think it's because what you're sharing about branding, first of all, is very accessible. Uh, like it's not, it's not theory. There's a lot of very actionable stuff, which is what I like to focus on, on this podcast. And it, it's, it's very specific to small business owners like, like myself. And so I think that's what well, a couple of the main reasons why it has resonated so well. Yeah. I mean, brand is vital to small businesses and there really isn't the information out there that's accessible and understandable to make it easy. Yeah. I mean, even in Traction's book, I don't feel like they go deep enough, although I love that book. Um, so just, I think that it's paramount that entrepreneurs and small businesses get this information. Yeah. You know, we were chatting a little bit before we started recording that I think for most small business owners, me included, we are dismissive of the value of a brand. We think that that's for bigger businesses, don't we? Yes, and it's not. I mean, you, everyone has a brand, whether you're managing it or not. So if you're not managing it, what happens? Well, anything that negative, any negative uh, comment, post, review, anything like that, you're just at the whim of public perception if you don't manage your brand. So if you're looking for creating stable and sustainable sales and revenues, how can you not manage your brand? Yeah. Yeah. This, this is a perfect segue to where I wanted, where I wanted to start the conversation, which is what you refer to uh, as the three possibilities of my brand's effectiveness. So I'd, I'd like you to speak to that because you, you highlighted or summarize it rather very succinctly. Your brand is doing one of these three things. I, I, I was hoping you would share that and let's talk about that. Sure. Sure. So Right. Um, either people know you and believe you worth your prices or people know you and don't believe you're worth your prices or people don't know you at all. So if people know you and believe you are worth the prices you're charging, that's like, OK, let's go to a large business that everyone will understand. Ruth Chris. You, you believe and value those prices if that's a place you choose to take your family, your significant loved ones, your friends at, for a special dinner. Or some people, a business dinner, an everyday dinner, the Ritz-Carlton. I mean, those 
we understand and value that they are worth their prices because we're not buying something tangible. We're buying an experience, right? We're buying the best customer service or the luxury experience. Look at, think about Costco. Costco is a store brand that has a lot of equity too. Right. So that brand is, has a lot of trust. So when I go to Costco myself, it has so much um, trust with me and I value their brand that I am likely to choose their brand over a premium brand because I trust Costco's brand, but they've worked hard to create that perception in my mind. And you've heard me say this before, the parking space. Now, if people know you and don't believe you're worth your prices, just think of an overpriced and not exceptional local restaurant, right? I mean, we, we all have one in our communities. There's an overpriced, not exceptional local restaurant. And many of them may not have made it through COVID because of that. So you have to manage the perception, the external perceptions to encourage the desired brand relationship or position. Yeah. And, and then I, people who don't know you at all. Oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, no, I was thinking that the core of those two sentences, the people know you, but believe and believe you're worth your prices, even if you drop the prices part, because as you said, with Costco, they're not trying to be the premium provider. They're actually uh, a lower cost provider, yeah. but, but I believe, I believe the brand, I believe the promise that they've made to me and that they're going to deliver consistently. Right. Yes. Yes. I don't have to read reviews with a Costco brand. I already know they've, they've covered that for me. Whereas Amazon, I don't trust the reviews anymore. <laughs> right. So yeah, too many incentivized reviews on Amazon right. these days, but yeah. But the last point, people don't know you at all. Just think of the mom and pop restaurant that's relying on word of mouth without a value-driven right message. It may be a great restaurant worth far more than they're charging, but nobody knows about them. They haven't really created the, the right and relevant inside-out message of what's different and special and why someone would want to go to them. Who are you? You've heard me say this. Who are you? What do you do different? And why should I care? <laughs> right. Right. Of course, the challenge, you know, going to that example of a small local restaurant is often we feel like we don't have the budget to do branding in the traditional sense. So we get hung up there. But that's why that's one of the reasons I wanted to explore in today's conversation branding to a big extent from the potential existing employees perspective or team member, you know, could yes. be a contract or whatever, because, because that's another way. Well, first of all, let's talk about how having a brand that you communicate effectively during the uh, recruiting and hiring process, how that can be powerful. Let's, so let's explore that. First of all, let me ask you this question. How is it that it, a solid brand that communicates effectively can influence potential employees or team members that might join us? Well, first of all, a more well-known brand, a trusted brand, a brand that is really actualized and communicating clearly, that elevates the brand. And who doesn't want to work for the best brands? Right. Right. So you, a clear and properly positioned message will attract more of not only your desired target audience, it'll attract more top talent. These beliefs have to align with the audience and team member beliefs. So it's really important that it be true, genuine, authentic to the organization. So that's one of the reasons why it's paramount now with this talent deficit that we're not just competing on pay and not just benefits. We're competing on the intangible environment we're creating, the culture, the excitement, the enthusiasm, the unified team, those are all parts of a clear brand. We know anyone who comes to work here, think of um, Tom's, everyone who works for Tom's Shoes, they believe in a purpose that's helping another country, right? Anyone, every, every shoe you buy, we're going to send one here. So now you're, you're buying into that. So people who care about that particular effort or giving back. They're going to be in complete alignment with the purpose and they're going to be a contributing and engaged team member. 
I mean, we're hearing, you, you know this as you just shared, we're hearing more and more and more, especially younger workers, but that's just a generalization. I think it applies across all age groups, but certainly younger workers have made us more aware of it, is they want to be part of something that they can connect with, that they can uh, be part of some kind of, uh, and it doesn't have to be a movement. It can just be what you stand for as a small business. That's right. That's becoming more and more important to uh, prospective employees, right? Yeah. Think about people who work for a zoo, you know, those frontline employees who are working in the cafe or the um, hospitality area or guest check-in, you know, they're not there. Most of them, if they're going to stay long-term, they're not there just for the money. They're there because they care about animals. Right. I mean, that is a purpose too. There's a different ways to define these causes and things that you align with, but basically you're talking about a belief system. And so once you're clear about the beliefs, it's easier for those to find ways that they align with your belief. Yeah. I had one client that they actually required for everyone that uh, applied for a job, they had to write an essay. Hmm. Some people wrote a paragraph. Some people wrote three paragraphs. I've seen a page, but they wrote, you have to either pick one or more of the core values and tell us how you fit, how this aligns with your beliefs. So what they're doing is they're seeing how they bring that core value to life. That is creating part of that on-brand experience, right? Yeah. If yeah. you're a service mentality and you one of your core values is delivering exceptional service, well, now you've got something that people can hang on because we want to create all those points of contact of exceptional service. Yeah, this point of alignment is such a big one, Jennifer. I mean, to me, as you're explaining it, what I'm envisioning then and seeing is that if, if I'm communicating my brand effectively and I do so in my uh, job postings, in my outreach to prospective new employees and through the hiring and screening process, you just gave an example of how one organization that you work with requires people to share how they would be in alignment that means I attract people who who are bought into what it is that we're trying to do, our customer promise or our mission or our vision or combination thereof. And you'll explain those terms more in a moment. But you're bought in. That means that I'm attracting like-minded people, which is more likely that you're going to help me execute and deliver consistently on my customer promise. Absolutely. I, I will share one more example. Another uh, client had, you know, they were also claiming service or they consider themselves a service organization. That's very common. Some people hang their whole hat on that. And in this situation, when they came in for an interview, they had a typical activity where the interviewer introduces himself to the interviewee and says, welcome. Hey, listen, I'll be right back. They need a couple chairs next door. And he takes a chair out the door. If that prospective employee gets up, and follows him and helps bring chairs, now he's going to get an interview. Instead, if they didn't, they came back and said, thanks, I don't think you'll work out here. He goes, wait a minute, you haven't yet, you haven't interviewed me yet. Oh, yes, I did. I just did. They were looking for someone who already had the intrinsic service mentality. Mm -hmm. And if they didn't have that and didn't see it and take initiative on it, it was going to be too much work Right. to have them as part of the team. Love that. Love that example. All right. Other things, you know, to answering this question of why does a prospective or an existing employee care about my brand? You also, we touched on it, that that recognition being, I want to be proud. And I think more so, I don't know, maybe this has never changed. I mean, I think back to when I was first uh, looking to start my career, uh, I ended up working for a very well-known cable company at the time, you know, before DirecTV. And that reputation, that recognition was important to me. It made me feel proud that that's where I was going to go work, that I could share that with friends and family, that I work for this company, right? Absolutely. I mean, think of some of the, imagine how the United Airline employees felt during their debacle some years back, right? When there was all that viral posting of someone, a really bad experience, and I won't go into it, but Imagine how those employees and imagine how the pipeline of potential employees went down during that period before they could recover and make things better. They didn't have clear guardrails on 
where an employee was empowered to deliver on that brand promise of fly the friendly skies. So because the guardrails were so tight, there was no permission to change things on an individual capacity. And that is so important that I've veered off your question though. So I will go back. So no, no, this, this is good. Those are, that's a great example though of, of where now that, that then I'm sure created for them this, of course, lack of trust in the public, but lack of trust perhaps with prospective new employees and not to yeah, mention existing would... employees, right? I mean, now right. you have to defend if it's even at the dining room table. Oh, you work for them. Oh my gosh, that must be terrible, you know. And imagine how that one or two employees that was involved directly in that felt. I mean, they were, right. they, they may have felt shame, right? I mean, mm. they just, but they had no freedom to make a different choice. I mean, the bottom line is when, we looked at Jackie and I, my the HR side of my world. We looked at you know their procedures and processes. They were following them. They did exactly what was mandated. They just needed to provide different parameters to allow for those unique situations, and they didn't. I'm sure they've addressed that by now, or they wouldn't still be around. I mean, we haven't seen another debacle like that. So the, I'm confident they've handled it well. I personally have flown on that airlines. I fly on all kinds of airlines these days because I'm always looking for the nonstops. <laughs> <laughs> so whoever has it gets my my money. But I got to tell you, I've had good experiences on United since then. So coming back to else? this question, you know, why do yeah. they care about the brand? What else have we not talked about? Well, certainly your culture, your people are megaphones for your brand. People want to work with their buddies. So just imagine, why should you care about your brand? You want your employees to love working there and have a great work environment, know what it's like to work there. And they then they want to invite their friends. And we've even had some clients who actually have employee referral programs that if we hire one of your friends and who doesn't want to work with their best friends, you get XYZ and they get XYZ, whatever it is. So um, that's a wonderful reason why you should care about your brand because then they'll want to bring their friends to work, you bring more talent in, A players, no A players, but also you get um, those megaphones activated out there. They're telling their friends and their family how wonderful it is to work there and what a great products you have, what a great experience it is. And you should come, you should buy, you should see whatever it is. Yeah. So, and that reputation filters right down. Some people have a um, clear turnover strategy. They, they expect to have an attrition rate Maybe they hire people in college and expect them to stay two or three years and then they move on to a different experience because they don't know what they want yet, right? Most people coming out of college, the first, we always say the first three jobs they have or the mm -hmm. first three years anyway, they're still trying to figure out which job they want with their training and education. So it certainly helps their resume, right? If you are a better known brand, if you have a terrible reputation or unknown it has no no real meaning on the resume. Sure, you can put down what you did for them and be sure to include some metrics and that'll make your personal brand and resume stand out. Even better, find one thing about you that really separates you from the pack and add that to your resume. We could mm -hmm. go into personal branding sometime. But regardless, it influences whether the next person wants to know a little more about you. Absolutely, right? absolutely. I mean, I've had that happen. When you have on your resume companies that have a good reputation that reflects well on you. There's no doubt about it because, Absolutely. because what it says is, well, Henry, if you were able to perform in that environment and I know about that environment being a top-notch environment, it must, must mean you're a top performer, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So that point about retention is, is a key one as well. Um, the other thing is work environment. You've touched on that. You know, I remember when I worked, I worked for a stint, in the mid nineties for Mary Kay cosmetics. I'm sure you've heard of that company, a company I bet that those products look great on you. They did look great on me, <laughs> <laughs> but my girlfriend, who's my wife now at the time, certainly appreciated the, the greatly the reduced products. They did have a men's line though, for people who didn't know, and they still do have a men's line, but I had heard very good things about this company before I went to work for them. And it was one of the things that attracted me to them is they take care of their employees. And then when I was there, that was the case. They take care of their employees. That's why they have many employees. There are people who I worked with in the mid-90s who are still there, right? 
Talk about wow. retention. Powerful. Yeah. Powerful. Yeah. And, and you know, that's a company that has a wonderful origin story that was absolutely shared as well. Absolutely. And today we, you know, you see that as a gap on websites all the time. People have about us and it's some dry information. You know, you want to start off with, you know, your, your brand essence or basically that unique combination we talked about in the last episode, but also you want to have your origin story if you are a founder or even if it's moved on and there is a founder of the past, you want to tell that founder that origin story of how this business came to be, what problem it solved and the passion behind the founder to make me care more. I mean, the Mary Kay founder story, origin story was very profound to me. I mean, I, it, 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 it excited me back when I, before I had a business. Absolutely. Yeah. No, Mary Kay was you know, a, an inspirational person. Yeah. And I did yeah. get to meet her by the way, when I worked there, uh, she was still cool. involved and I still, I got to meet her, but yeah, absolutely. You know, it's an interesting point though. Also Jennifer, because I think what I find sometimes not in all businesses, but I find it one of the things that the internet has done is we all think that we're supposed to put forward this image of we're this large corporation, even when we're not, and we miss out on the opportunity to leverage that we are, in fact, a local organization. Maybe we're a woman-owned business or a minority-owned business or whatever that origin story is, as you put it. We sometimes think that the image that we have to put forward is of this corporate environment that doesn't have that personal touch. You follow what I'm saying? Absolutely. Absolutely. It's, it's, and you know, the thing is, is I believe that the brands of the future, the choices that consumers will make is they're already showing it. They prefer the smaller entity entities, the yeah, local entities. Absolutely. They want to support their local businesses. And even more so, they're frankly, they're tired of the mega brands. That's right. That's right. You and know, they can not, read through me trying to pretend that that I'm a large organization. Not only can they read through that and it's not sincere, that to your point, that's not what they're looking for. They're not, they're no longer looking for an automated experience. We have transitioned. We started off, people had relationship businesses, right? I mean, even if it was trade back in the day, you know, I want to trade with Joe as that great cattle and beef over there. So I'm going to give him some of my baskets I've woven. You know, you start to, you're actually building a brand experience right, right there. And now we've moved fast forward with the age of technology and everything that's happened. Well, you end up with bots and AIs who don't understand your question. And it's frustrating to get those responses back and you feel like you've wasted your time or you get lost in the, the circle of robots on the telephone, punch this, punch that. And you never get to a person or if you do, you've been on hold for 30, 45 minutes. People are tired of those experiences. They want to know who they're buying from personally. They want, there's a, I think maybe with our silos, and even the pandemic, I mean, I was seeing the trend towards the boutique and um, more local, smaller businesses. I was already seeing that shift happen. And then the pandemic happened. And now we want connections, right? That's not changing. Yeah. We're made no, for we're, connection. We're, we're starved for it, if nothing else, right? Starved for it. That's a great way to phrase it, Henry. All right. So let's get into now, and we've been touching on it, what, what you call the three brand secrets. There, there is much more to it, but all, everything that we've been talking about is about branding here, especially for a small business owner. And that's what we're hoping to share. But specifically, I want to dive into these three brand secrets. And we've got a free download related to this. I'll tell you more about it in a minute, but just uh, if you go to the show notes page, you'll find a download called Three Brand Secrets for Success. So let's let's talk about these three brand secrets, Jennifer. The first one is know what differentiates you from your competitors. And this is a I find this one to be it seems simple, but I, I think it's challenging for a lot of us as small business owners to identify what it is that is that makes us different, right? Yeah, it is very hard. And you have to allow the time, the dedicated, dedicated focus time to do it. But you want to start by listing facts, right? Just start listing facts, lots and lots of them, and then distill them down into what is the most unique and of value to your audience. Sometimes it's a combination of value propositions that makes us unique. If you can't say 
only. I'm the only one who, I mean, if you've got one of those, that's a value proposition. Right. If it's a value to your audience, so that's powerful. But sometimes it's a combination that makes you unique. And I'll give you an example. Uh, I worked with a family law firm and they were marketing themselves as a law firm that does family law and criminal law. Well, they were highly recognized and distinguished. They had very affluent tri uh, clients they were attracting, but they were diluting their position because they were competing with more folks if, if they're claiming a law firm that does family law and criminal law. There's tons and tons of them. Right. So with their recognition and um, just who they are in the community, I mean, they are were the top law firm family law firm of their community just outshined everyone else and and it was always oh yeah you want to get one of them well we took the criminal law component because in the research what we uncovered was they only did criminal law as it related to family law issues so we made that a uvp so now they are owning family law top family law firm right we're mm -hmm. the family law firm and one of the uvps Unique value propositions was, and we have a criminal lawyer and a st distinguished criminal lawyer on staff. So we can not only handle your family law case, if your child gets into trouble, if something else happens, you don't have to air your dirty laundry with another law firm. We will handle that all right here in house. That's very powerful to affluent clients who want to be discreet. Right. So now we've turned that into a value proposition. So sometimes it's that too, it's the organization of how you're structuring your model and your communication. They still didn't change their service. They just communicated it differently. Yeah. I can think of, so that this is great because this is, this is not, again, not, not easy for a lot of us, especially if we're in a space like an attorney, or let's say, for example, a, an accounting firm, a bookkeeping firm, there are dozens of them, hundreds of them. Right. I, and so how do you differentiate there? And, and one thing that came to mind as you were giving that example is, well, maybe we're the only bookkeeping firm in Stewart, where I live, that also offers uh, uh, QuickBooks training and certification. In other words, Absolutely. using something like that, that's related, but that helps me differentiate myself in a crowded space delivering a ubiquitous service. And look what else that communicates. It communicates that you're an expert in QuickBooks. So if you're focused on small businesses, they are likely to be QuickBooks. Right. Because I right? knew that that was my target audience. And when I defined my unique value proposition, I have to have that in, in, in perspective as well. Obviously, I got to know who I'm speaking to, right? Oh, absolutely. You want your three personas. This is Henry Lopez with a brief pause to this episode to let you know that one of our sponsors and one of my favorite podcast shows, Stroke of Genius, is back for another great season. If you've ever had a great idea or brainstormed a way to make something better, Stroke of Genius is the podcast for you. Brought to you by IPO Education Foundation, Stroke of Genius identifies misconceptions about intellectual property to show the importance of IP to business and the economy. In season five, host and entrepreneur Raha Francis tackles questions about how patents incentivize investment in R&D, the right of musicians to sample music, the role of IP in promoting technology, sustainability, and more. Hear entrepreneurs, artists, scientists, inventors, lawyers, and other industry leaders get to the heart of what intellectual property protection means to them and why it matters. Get more information on Stroke of Genius at ipoef.org. And don't forget to subscribe and rate Stroke of Genius on Apple Podcasts or your podcast platform of choice. All right. We, we're jumping ahead to unique value proposition, which is fine, but I want to stay on on uh, what differentiates us for a moment because one of the things I often struggle with, and I've had this struggle myself with businesses, is it is it valid, do you think, Jennifer, that my differentiation is if I say I'm the only one that, that provides the best customer service? Oh, one of my favorite examples. Yeah. <laughs> to me, that just is not a differentiator, even though I've I've been guilty of trying to use that, right? Because what it ends up happening is I end up in a space where there are lots of competition and I really have nothing else that I've identified 
that differentiates me. Yeah. And I got to tell you, out of 25 years in business, I always find differentiators. And then the task is, how can we communicate it differently if we find that it's not different, <laughs> right? Sometimes it's the way you communicate it that makes you the leader of the pack. But specifically on customer service, you know, let's say you have a specific process that truly delights your customer. Here's how you make it different. You make it a brand point. Right. So let me give you an example on that. The cut. Let's say the customer service process is hardwired into a predictable experience for your customer. And then if you say great customer service, of course you sound like everybody else. There's nothing sticky about that, right? You get lost, commoditized. But if you formalize your process, whether you make improvements on the actual process and outline, but you also name it, you create a some sort of logo identity or graphic identity, and you protect it by trademarking it, now you sound different. It will seem different, even though you're saying the same thing. We had a um, client that was claiming this amazing customer service. And he says, but we really do. And, and then as I learned more, they had this, what they called, they took their core values and they had made an acronym, not unlike a lot of folks. And they had this I care culture. So I-C-A-R-E standard for their core values. But they, so we called it concierge service. In other words, we created an I care seal that could be put on every single ad. It would look like a like a seal. Of, imagine a good housekeeping seal of approval, but it was eye care. It looked like a professional stamp. Yep. And we communicated it with, and our, you'll love our concierge service with our wonderful eye care culture, right? Now we've started to add value in there. We've started to reposition how it comes across. We're still saying customer service, but we're calling it concierge because this was a roofing company. So it sounded very different in their space. And the other thing you're doing when you create that brand point is you're adding value to the business with that brand bundle, you know, that legal term that refers to the set of intangibles that are legally protected by, say, USPTF. Great example. I think that's such a huge takeaway. And that's why you see, you know, like you might see a, a successful mechanic shop that says, you know, we have a, our three-point platinum process, Right. So you're, you're branding this process. That's how then, and then it's branding. And that's how you're then communicating this differentiator in a market that might be otherwise very crowded and hard for me to differentiate with something else. Absolutely. And back to your accounting firm example, we created a positioning for one accounting firm, which was directions to prosperity. That was their tagline. We created directions to prosperity. Now, who and they focused on the dental space, dental, dental clients. So what dentist or dental service does not want to go to the CPA that will give the directions to prosperity? And we had all the proof points and unique value propositions and everything to support it. We just communicated it a little bit differently. Now, if we tie this back to employees, if we now have something like this that we have clearly branded and articulated and we communicated effectively, here's what our difference is. We do so all throughout the process, including as we onboard someone and train them. Now I'm going to have a lot higher probability that they're going to help me execute on that. Absolutely. All right. Let's talk a little bit more about unique value proposition. People call this all kinds of different things, uh, unique selling proposition, but tell me, um, what it is again at a high level, and then we'll break it down a little bit. So a unique value proposition is something that is unique or different. So you can call them your competitive advantage, your differentiators, what, whichever we call it unique and of value. So your differentiators also have to be of value to your audience. If you're choosing to make them customer facing. Right. right. It's got a value to my target audience. Otherwise, it, it doesn't matter. Right. It doesn't it, matter. There's nothing that comes to mind now, but I've seen those where there's a disconnect between what you're putting. Like there's a fast food chain now, right now, I, I won't name them, that has outgrown or out of alignment now in what used to be their tagline or value proposition. I know those are two separate things, but often we communicate our value proposition through our tagline, I believe. Um, they're out of alignment. In other words, it doesn't ring true. So you got to be careful with that, right? 
Absolutely. You know, the formula, I think we covered it in our last episode, but that formula is so important of how you structure your tagline has to come from a strategic underpinning inside the organization of your why statement, your UVPs, and your customer benefit statement. Only when you get those clear should you be creating a tagline, because otherwise it may be and likely will be out of alignment, and it, or it may just be a sexy slogan. It will have no meaning and value, and it won't do anything for your business, really. Yeah. The other thing that I see so often is taglines, which, again, I think is one of the ways that we try to communicate our unique value proposition that are so generic, anybody could say the same thing. It goes back to, like you said, can I can I say only associated with it? And I see so many of these marketing messages or value propositions or taglines that I could apply to four different types of businesses and they would sound like it fits. Yeah. Yeah. You all, I, I, again, I, I love the example of Maytag because if you think of all those folks way back then that were claiming reliability and they just, they had the same thing, but they believed theirs was so different and of such high value that they created that lonely repairman. Right. Right. So it sometimes if you truly believe that you have the single best product on the market, but you sound like everybody else, it might simply be a matter of positioning it and communicating it differently. That's all. I mean, you think about yeah. the the personality, the brand personality that comes through in some entities, and that's what drives you to them first is the personality. Oh, that's interesting. I Out of these three competitor sets of these folks I could choose, this one, oh, I like the way this one feels, right? That's that gut reaction that we already want to feel known and personalized. And we're getting that with that particular position. Yeah, and these these are the secrets of branding and why it is so important for us as small business owners. So just to recap and go on to the third secret, first is know what differentiates you from the competitors you you shared there. It starts with, you know, the list, just everything that you think is different about you. And then you work through that. Ideally, you work with somebody like you, somebody like Jennifer, who helps you think about this in a way that most of us don't have the skill set to do so. And we're going to talk about an upcoming workshop that'll help you kind of go through this process. But but that's critical. And then looking for maybe it's about re branding a certain way that you do or deliver your product or service. And maybe therein lies the uniqueness. Then you communicate this through a unique value proposition. And that unique value proposition not only becomes then what directs your marketing, what, what outbound communication of it, but as we've been talking about, it's what then drives how you train and develop and coach your employees, right? Absolutely. You have to install the brand through the employee training. And then once they get through onboarding, you need to continue trainings and excitement around this delivery of this brand promise throughout the employee life cycle. So you have to, when you get that done, you're actually activating the brand internally, which helps create and develop an enthusiastic on-brand culture. And at the very least, you need to have a tool that every small business should have is at least a brand one sheet. I call it a brand one sheet. And that is the way that brand statement that I talked about earlier is developed, that paragraph of why you over mm -hmm. anyone else. It has the breakdown of how you got there. It has that communication. And it has one sentence. We call it a brand franchise sentence that says, we are the only ones who, which is an internal thing. That's an internal communication I see. that helps everyone. And every employee should have access to that on day one. Absolutely. And get some excitement going, like go walk around the, the um, company and randomly call out people. Give me a brand statement. Give me a unique value proposition. Give me a, you know, to different folks, just get them prepped that they're always on point to do it. And they get kind of excited, call them out and let them show off in an employee uh, meeting and encourage them to put it in their own words and st while still saying the same thing. It gets real exciting. And then some folks have little chickens that go from employee to employee when you have a bricks and mortar space. And some folks do some fun little things on Zoom. So you see all kinds of ways to applaud them because you want to recognize that, yes, you've got it. And that 
is contagious, right? We, it's contagious when you start creating that kind of engagement. And, and also to the point I want to go back to also how, because I often get asked, you know, how do I know if I'm doing this well? And to your point of asking as the owner, if I go around and ask five different people individually to tell me what, what is our unique value proposition? What, what is our customer promise? What is it that we stand for? If I get five very different answers, I've got a problem. I'm not doing it well. Yeah. So that should Absolutely. then lead to, to revisiting this because that's the easiest indicator that something is broken. And I see this so often where companies will have, you know, the beautiful vision statement or mission statement on the website, but uh, you ask a staff member and they have no clue what it is that we stand for. Right? <laughs> well, we, we just fix cars or I don't know, we, you know, we're a restaurant. Yeah. Um, so that is the, the, the key indicator. So that third secret is to ensure your employees consistently deliver your brand promise. You use a term often, Jennifer, I think it's enculturation. Tell, tell me what that means. Yes, it's, it, enculturation is a program. So it is a program that is branded and protected, and it's a full-blown process of how to create a cross-functional brand engagement team inside your organization. So you want to get the perspectives of multiple folks in different roles. You want a new person and someone who's been there a while, you need the diversity component. All that is a part of creating a brand-driven organization. So once, if depending on the size that you are, it might be every single one of you. If you've got three to five people on your team, it's all of you, right? However, if you have a larger entity, you limit it to, you know, eight to 10 people, six to eight people, somewhere in there. Any bigger than 10, uh, it gets a little unwieldy, but you commit to a formal structure where they have regular meetings and they're trained. We actually train them for a year through this program, um, training a brand champion on how to lead and facilitate, training every single team member to understand and look at every possible suggestion and improvement and aha for the business as an owner, looking at what's it going to cost in time, in money, in um, focus, right? So that by the time they bring something to leadership, leadership has an easy time of saying yes. Because when you say yes, instead of no, employees are encouraged. We are making a difference. We are changing. We are empowered to make a difference, to bring this brand to life here, boots on the ground. That's where it's happening. So empowering them to do that requires training and a dedicate, dedicated brand initiative to do it. And then and, every every year, six of them, if you let's say at most 12 people, just for numbers or 10 to 12, if you have that many people on a team, you would have five or six roll off at a year. And then every year, so people commit to a year, ultimately, once it gets going, everyone's committed to a year and then they roll off. That brings in a fresh approach, obviously, a fresh perspective. And yet um, you keep the the um, brain trust that's been developed mm -hmm. with the other half so that you have continuity, which that's a big mistake when they start over every year with a new group, you're I really see. starting over. You don't right. want to lose your momentum. So it's yeah. important that you only roll off half. And for a very small company or a very small business like mine, it, uh, Am I not as the owner, the brand champion, then it's my responsibility. Yes. Okay. Totally. Totally. If you're not leading the charge, nothing's going to happen mm -hmm. <laughs> because truly in a smaller entity, there's, we're doing more, right? We're doing more inside our business than we could delegate in a larger business. Right. Yeah. yeah. And the, that hands-on and in touch with our audiences and constituents or customers, whatever term you choose to use. You know, that hands-on approach and leading it, we see things that our employees don't see. And because we're in the trenches working in the business as well as on the business, to use Michael Gerber's words, we have a responsibility to lead the brand and champion the brand for every single employee, even if it's only three. How can we expect them to get excited if we're not excited? How can right. we expect them absolutely. to think it's important if we don't think it's important? They and, are looking to us more closely. Oh, absolutely. And not to mention if if all 
everything we position in our branding is just lip service and we don't really believe it. We don't really execute it. People see that immediately. Our staff sees that almost immediately. It's hard to hide that. Yeah. And it's hard to recover. It's hard to recover. It's hard to recover. We almost have to start over is what I have, what I have found. In other words, mm-hmm. when I've helped small organizations, small groups have to change a bad culture, you almost have to clean house and start over. But if the person at the top doesn't buy in, you're wasting your time. All right. Yeah. Um, I want to talk about, I want to come back to the point of enabling employees a little bit more on this and, and, and how do we do that effectively? Um, so, so what, what else are your thoughts? Because one of the things that we, and I don't want to go off too much on a tangent on a conversation of delivering remarkable customer service, but what I have found is that if our, you know, if our unique value proposition, going back to the examples we shared is about delivering on this multi-point customer experience, but yet I don't really enable or empower my team to deliver on that, then that's the point I was just trying to make about that disconnect breaks this all down and you have nothing, doesn't it? It so does. And you really need to establish some kind of brand delivery performance metrics. Okay. What do you mean by that? Yeah. So if you are doing performance reviews and people do them all kinds of way, I'm a believer in do them regularly and all the time, (laughs) you know, there should be no surprises at a six month or one year or whatever review. Agreed. Uh, Just do all the time. But when you're reviewing them, how you're reviewing an employee, they, they need to know that, right? We've talked about no surprises. So you want to create what is a brand delivery mechanism or a brand delivery metric that you can gauge how this employee is performing on delivering on that. So uh, one of our clients was a big um, international retail furniture entity, a huge company, very premium brand. And they were claiming, and it was a franchise model. So we're working with local franchise. I'll clarify that. they were claiming world-class customer service. I don't want to go back to that too much, but it became one of their value propositions because they had designers on staff as well as the, the furnishings. But they were only measuring and they when they're, one of their main um, core values was customer relationships, building long-term customer relationships. But when we looked at the performance reviews, they were only measuring on sales. Hmm. So if they're only measuring on sales, Mary Jo, who's bought from me a million times, if I don't call her when a piece I know she would love comes in, I'm not delivering on long-term customer service, right? Because I'm not reaching out to her to encourage that relationship. I'm waiting. I'm staying transactional because I'm watching for the hot body that comes in the door that I can get a sale before to make my quota by the absolutely, end of the month. Absolutely. Nor am I worried about was she satisfied with what I sold her, right? That, that exactly. Does I'm not. I'm not incented to really care about that, even though we are pretending like that's what we're about. So if you were measuring on an individual level repeat sales by one person, which feeds into a higher key KPI, right? of repeat sales, right? We all want to be in that space because that is the most profitable space to your bottom line. Of course, of course. And if if you measured on the individual level, how many were repeat customers coming back to that same employee, you would know that you're delivering on long-term customer relationships. That's a metric. Right. That's a clear metric. So yeah, everyone's a little different. You've got to figure out which one aligns with what your brand promise is and how best to measure that. But there's not a role inside the organization that cannot have, I call it brand delivery metrics. Yeah. Excellent. And Excellent review them regularly. Yep. Yeah. Okay. You, I'm excited to co-announce with you that you are bringing back a very successful series of workshops that COVID put on hold for a while. Yes. <laughs> and now they're back. So uh, let's let's start by just a high level introduction about the build your brand workshops and what they are. Well, you know, I'll I'll first start off with why we did it. There were so many small businesses who would come to us back in the day um, and want a brochure or want 
this or that. You know, they're always thinking branding, not brand development, not strategic, more tactical. They just want their stuff. And my question was always knowing what I know about brand and value propositions and how to create a sustainable business that grows year over year, I would ask questions. Well, what do you want it to do for the business? Well, I want to, I want it to bring me sales. Well, first they'd always say, oh, well, I want something to hand out at a show. Okay. Mm -hmm. And what do you want that to, and then what, what's it going to do for you? Well, I want them to call me. Okay. Well, you can't get there if you don't have why you, you can't get there. You're guessing. Yeah. But that's so typical of small business owners. Sorry. We want to get to the deliverable. I just need a, a brochure to hand out. We haven't done the foundational work of well, what what are we going to communicate effectively in that brochure? Exactly. So, and what we found was most small businesses either couldn't afford the investment, although they wanted it, or if they could afford it, they didn't feel they didn't understand it. They need, and I didn't have time to educate every person coming through my door. Although I did with a few, I've been in, I was in a, back in that time, that was probably 2010. I was in like three hour meetings with someone new, just educating them on brand. And so Jackie and I got together and um, wanted to solve this problem. How can we do it? And that's when we created this build your brand workshop. So small business owners and entrepreneurs and marketing specialists and HR professionals, they can come to this workshop and understand what they need to know and how to do it to create a strong foundation for their brand. There's even information that helps them understand why it would be important to an owner if it's not the owner that's in the business, that's, that's at the workshop. So that's in a nutshell what it does. It gives them the foundational information. And we have two, obviously, the in-person one is five hours, dedicated time, working through those Things that we've talked about on your show, your why, your UVPs, and your benefit statement. We take you through all of that, as well as a, a brand foundation of learning, a primer to brand development, because brand development is the strategic initiative and branding is the tactical stuff. So we have to make that distinction and teach that and help folks understand what does that look like and mean. So then we come to get, we're in that workshop, have a wonderful lunch at this country club, <laughs> but what they're going to walk away with, they're going to have a brand, brand foundation workbook. I have a build your brand workbook. They'll take home all the work that they've done. They'll take with them. We'll get only so far in the workshop, but they'll have all the tools to go and then they have to do the work, right? They still have to do more work when they leave. Most won't finish. But the exchange of ideas and energy and what comes out of that workshop and the networking, frankly, they, right. these small businesses love the networking component too, because they're learning about what's different about all these other businesses. And so they start trading cards because they want to do business with one another. It's wild, but they're start, they're talking strategically in there. They're talking about what really is different and of value. They're learning to communicate it. So they learn how to build a winning brand. They learn why it's so important and vital to their business. It helps them increase their ability to compete. It helps them arm their, their customers as a marketer because they know what to say. It's very clear. You get time with me, frankly. You know, there's a big Q&A time where not only am I giving feedback on every moment and every exercise in the workshop, it's a big U-shape. So there's not classroom structure. I believe in it's very interactive and engaging. And good dialogue and a great time to ask those questions that, that come up or that you've always wanted answered and you can't find the right answer for your size business, whatever it is. So that is what the in-person one is. And then the virtual session is only one hour. So there's about a 35, 40 minute brand primer, which is why it's important what you have to do, what it was just an overall why companies choose to invest in their brand. And everyone needs to understand that from the employee to the owner and to any investors or stakeholders that are related. So that workshop has about 20, 25 minutes of live Q and A's as well. So um, they get those five foundational steps that they must have 
to build a brand, to build a clear and compelling brand. There's no doubt, you know, being familiar with some of this content, you will walk away from whichever one you're able to participate, whether it's the in-person, of course, it's more intensive or the online one, you're going to walk away better armed with these fundamentals as I look at it. And it's going to really change your perspective. If, if you've been listening this far to this episode, and if you go back, if you haven't already listened to a previous episode, so much value here to help you get that much more effective at branding. And, you know, it, executing on branding sometimes isn't necessarily about spending more money because we're not talking necessarily about advertisements or marketing, but it's about how you are communicating and positioning yourself in the market to differentiate yourself, to get people to recognize you and, and value what you have to offer. So it's, it's huge benefits here. And now, to attract that talent, right? That, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Very good point. Thanks. Cause that's exactly one of the key points that we've been trying to tie back to in this episode is attracting and retaining those key employees. So the price point on these two workshops is very accessible to small business owners. So this is, yeah. as you mentioned, you work with often, not all, not exclusively, but you work with larger businesses. You charge a, a hefty, valuable premium for what you offer because it's so valuable to those larger small businesses. Here you're making this same knowledge and the important point you made, you're the one leading these. So it's access to you as well at a very affordable price point. Yeah. So they're going to get expert knowledge. That's right. Which not everyone, I mean, let's face it, lots of folks, everybody calls themselves a branding specialist, the sign painter sign guy calls himself branding specialist. Right, That's right. not a branding specialist. Right. Very different. <laughs> very different. Exactly right. And, that, and on that point, it's such an important thing because going back to the examples that we gave, if we, let's say, hire somebody, a freelancer to create a flyer for us or a brochure or a leave behind or even something content for the website, Bounce none backs. of all they all can go with is whatever you have to give them in the way of what your messaging should be, your your unique value proposition, all of that, that nobody else is going to create for you. Now you can hire somebody like Jennifer to help you, but what she's going to do in her process, what she does with these other organizations is they go through a whole process of asking questions and uncovering these things. But here in these workshops, for a very low price point that's affordable to us as small business owners, we're going to get some of those same fundamentals. Um, and on top of it, on top of the fact that it's very affordable, we have a special discount for the How a Business listeners. And so tell us about that. Yeah, anything for you, Henry. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, so we created a, a single code for either event for your audience. So if they choose the in-person Build Your Brand workshop in Jacksonville, Florida, there's two dates on the website. It's We're charging $2.95 for the day, includes everything. We have an early bird special rate that's going on that expires soon, but we're going to extend that early bird rate for any of your audience if they use the code, the how of business, just all together, the how of business. And then for the one hour webinar training, Zoom training, it's only $49, but we'll give them 10% off if they use that same code. And that is such a great price point. You're going to get so much value out of that one hour interactive live workshop. It's not oh, a recording. Yeah. It really is Jennifer on there sharing knowledge. Again, go to the website. So for all of this, a couple places to go. You can, of course, always go to the howabusiness.com and go to the show notes page for this episode and everything will be there. Or if you want to go directly to Jennifer's website, it's hollandhelix.com. So Holland with two L's and then Helix, H-E-L-I-X, hollandhelix.com. And you'll find if you click on the events link at the top menu, you'll find this information. There's going to be ongoing dates. There are some coming up soon. So I encourage you to go and find out about it and register soon because there are truly limited capacity. She does not do hundreds of people in these sessions because it just doesn't work. There's no way you could do the one-on-one -on -one part of it if you had hundreds of people. So there will be limited sessions, but there'll be uh, dates now that are coming up and in the future. So check the website for the latest dates, this opportunity to save 
uh, as a listener is for a limited time. So take advantage of that. Uh, what are we missing? It's in love. The in-person ones are in lovely Jacksonville, Florida. So if you've never been to Jacksonville, great place to go visit. Um, and of course, if you can't get there, just because it doesn't work logistically for, for you, then the online option is a great place to start. All right. I think we covered it all on that. Anything that we left out? I don't think so. I, I mean, if you, if I ask you this question, who, who are these workshops ideally suited for? What would be your answer? The entrepreneurs, marketing specialists, HR professionals, business owners, right? That's, we always look at the, the owner of a small business is paramount. And sometimes that owner might be an entrepreneur, a solopreneur, just a business owner. I mean, they may classify them, however they classify themselves. Right. Anyone in the marketing space, mm -hmm. that is powerful powerful knowledge for, to arm those folks to, for a deeper understanding. Absolutely. And then HR professionals, because who's delivering your brand? Right, your people right, are. Right, so right. If you're, So what, what does HR, when Jackie and I came together with her background in HR and my background in brand and marketing, um, we found there was a disconnect. And it's not in every situation, but it's common. In a small business, it might be the same person. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. But if it's not, if it's right. a larger organization, I mean, that's a great point. It talks to what we've been trying to communicate here in this episode is how branding and how it relates to attracting employees and retaining employees. So I yes. didn't really so even think about to. it that then that the HR person usually doesn't have that background or skill set necessarily. Yeah. So it's it's really closing a gap between HR and brand and marketing. That is so vital. So Sometimes I have larger businesses who send their marketing in-house marketing person or their in-house HR person. And that's a great thing to do. If that CEO president doesn't, you know, can't come, uh, doesn't want to attend an event like this, sending the people from their team so they can start the understanding that will improve the health of their brand and elevate it over time. Great stuff. All right. So let's wrap it up. We've talked about a lot of things related to branding. Again, good stuff, great examples, great takeaways. How would you summarize it? What's what's one thing you want us to take away from this conversation we had in this episode, looking at branding from the perspective of those three brand secrets, which were, again, know what differentiates you from your comp competitors, develop your unique value proposition, and then the key point, the key tie that we've been making here, ensure your employees consistently deliver on your brand promise. And beyond that, using your brand to attract the right type of people. So we talked about all of those things. What's, what's one thing you want us to take away related to that? I would say I would encourage every small business to put their money and time where it will do the most good. You have a brand, whether you know it or not. It is one, if not the most valuable asset you have. Just recently, I don't know if you saw the news, um, but World Golf Village is moving to Pinehurst. They're taking none of the money that they paid to lease this beautiful and extraordinary space. Not any of it. It was mm. all an expense. But guess what they are taking? Every bit of that brand they mm -hmm. built as the World Golf Village is moving to Pinehurst. Every bit of the equity is preserved. And that's what you want to do, do most when you're managing a brand is manage and preserve equity and grow equity. So that would be the one thing. Yeah, I love that. Well said. I mean, it's such a such a key point because I think that for most of us, Jennifer, as small business owners, the asset that we have, as you just gave an example, is that goodwill that we've built with our clients and our communities, the communities that we serve. And the brand to me is a is how well we have encapsulated and and communicated what it is that we offer and why we're so different. And the better we do that as small business owners, the more effectively then we're going to build that goodwill. And to your point, yes, it's where I should focus my money. But I, I but one of the things that I look at it as we're not talking about spending a lot of money. It's really about investing the time to develop this and then nurture it and communicate it. Right. Absolutely. Tell me where we can go to learn more about you and about the uh, the upcoming workshops. HollandHelix.com events. If you click on the events tab there, you and just scroll down a little bit, you'll see 
the Build Your Brand offerings that are current, but the fall dates are up now. Absolutely. The fall dates are there. Take advantage of them. These will sell out fast. There is limited capacity to them. And I, I recommend you take advantage of this. I also mentioned the free download, Three Brand Secrets for Success. Just go to the show notes page for this episode at thehowabusiness.com. And you can get that free download that expands a bit more on this discussion we had about the three brand secrets. That's a great document, the download document that Jennifer has written. She actually wrote it quite some time ago in an updated just recently for us for this download. So good stuff there. Learn about the workshops, take advantage of this opportunity. If you're not able to go in person to Jacksonville, then take advantage of the online version of the workshop. All right. Very good, Jennifer. Thanks again for coming back on the show and another great, insightful, and valuable conversation on branding. I appreciate you being with me here today again. No, my pleasure. I always enjoy talking with you and enjoy um, what you're doing for small businesses. Thank you. Appreciate that. This is Henry Lopez, and thanks for joining me on this episode of The How of Business. My guest today again was Jennifer Holland. I release new episodes every Monday morning, and you can find the show anywhere you listen to podcasts, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or at my website, thehowofbusiness.com. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to The How of Business. For more information about our coaching programs, online courses, show notes pages, links, and other resources, please visit thehowofbusiness.com.